this might end up being like two or three sermon deaths. We'll, we'll see. But you're here for it, right? Um, so I had a, I was listening uh, to the song, this, this worship song this morning, and it was talking about how when we want to be filled up with the Holy Spirit, there's two things we have to do. We have to throw down our idols. We have to throw down our dignity. And, um, you know, a question for you, if, if somebody said, I will give you $10 million if you'll just do the funky chicken in front of 100 people for five minutes, would you be willing to pay that price? I would. I'm like, I'll do funky chicken in five minutes. Ten million dollars, yeah. And so, but so most of us, I think, would say, yeah, I'd be willing to do that. But we have something that the Bible says is more precious than gold and silver. We have the Holy Spirit, and gold and silver are going to pass away. All the things of this world are going to pass away, but we have the Holy Spirit who's going to remain forever. And there's times where the Holy Spirit will offend our minds to get to our hearts. You know, I know one lady who was in a prayer line one time and she had really nice hair. I mean, just probably just came, I mean, it looked like she just came from the salon. And people were falling out in the spirit. And uh, I think it was Bobby Connor, may have, this may have been his story, but he came to her and she said, don't touch the hair. And he said, well, do you want the Lord to touch you? She's like, yeah, but don't touch the hair. <laughs> and um, and he said, well, he said he just did, he disregarded what she said, put his hand on her head, which I, I don't necessarily recommend, but there's times where the Lord tells you to do things. He also nibbled on the guy's ear, which is a whole other story. But anyways, um, I'll tell you that story in just a second. But he puts his hand on her. She falls out in the spirit. She comes up and her, her hair is all messed up. And so like, my point is, is there's times if you're really hungry for God, it's just God will actually test you just to kind of see how desperate you are. That's what, why sometimes even manifestations can be embarrassing because God wants to know if do you want him or do you, do you care what he thinks or do you care what man thinks? And he really will test that. And so when I learned how to pray in tongues, one of the things that Steve Fish did for me because I'd already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when I, the guy that was praying for me, uh, he said, we're at a conference up in Franklin, Tennessee with Francis Frangipan, Jim Gall, and John Sanford. And the guy that was running the conference, I caught him in the hallway. This is 2000, fall 2002. I said, hey man, I wanna, will you pray for, for me and my wife to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I already have the Holy Spirit in me upon believing. But this is, there's more. There's just more available. And uh, I believe the Bible backs that up. So he said, yeah, all right, let's come in here. And he's kind of like in a hurry, you know. And but just the, Lord, the goodness of the Lord. He's like, all right, let's pray. Lord, I pray you pray. But we got, we got knocked. And uh, I felt, it felt like somebody just took a jar of honey and poured it over the top of my head. And he said, all right, we're going to pray in tongues. On the count of three, one, two, three. And he went, and Jessica and I were going, uh, you know, and we don't, we don't say anything. And so for a year and a half, 
it was between it was about a year and a half between that time and the time that we moved to Fort Worth and we were going to Convergence Church and Steve Fish does a there's a new members class on the Holy Spirit and he says who who of you haven't spoken in tongues and I was like well I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit but I haven't spoken in tongues yet and so so Steve is coaching me through it and he's like you're going to get like one or two words and just keep going with those words it's like learning a new language but one of the things he told me every time he's like get louder get louder why would he tell me to get louder just because there is a fear of man thing that you don't want to be embarrassed doing something that you've never done before saying something you've never said before in front of a whole bunch of people and when he said get louder and so I kept just getting louder and what happened was is you eventually something breaks off of you and you don't care anymore so I'm yelling in tongues. And, it, and I was, and then he's, and then he also said, listen, next two or three weeks, devil's going to try to tell you it's not real. Don't believe him. Keep walking. In. But the thing is, is that so many times the Lord is on the other side of like inconvenience. Are you willing to be un, undignified? Like, like, David was, are you willing to be, for it to be an awkward situation? How many times, I, I can't, most of the times that I've ever given a word to somebody, shared the gospel, it doesn't feel like just smooth and natural. And it's always a little bit awkward because they're strangers. But on the other side of that is, is a testimony. And um, so I just wanted to encourage you, if you're, if you're hungry for God, a lot of times he's going to ask you to do something undignified. And if you really want the Holy Spirit, sometimes the manifestation of the Holy Spirit may have you screaming. It may have you out. It may have you um, laughing hysterically. And so I've, I've had the, I've, and I've also had uncontrollable laughter. I was praying with Mark Snyder. Now I don't even know why I'm, I do know why, but this was not what I planned on preaching to y'all this morning. But Mark Snyder, a friend of mine from Convergence Church, he was the worship pastor. We used to meet together once a week to pray. And uh, we were praying one morning. I had to go to seminary class. And I said, I said, Lord, just as a personal favor, I'd really like to get drunk in the Holy Spirit sometime soon. And I wasn't. And as soon as it. And so it, the Bible says in Acts that they thought that the, the apostles and the disciples were drunk. Like these guys have been drinking and it's only 9 a.m. <laughs> and when I said that, what happened was I, I had no control of it. I started laughing uncontrollably. Mark started laughing uncontrollably. And we stayed there for like 15 minutes. And every time we look at each other, it just would start it all over again. And I went to seminary class. I literally stumbled into seminary class. And I had guys kind of looking at me like, you all right? And I was like, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of offensive. That's kind of offends the mind, right? But God, I'm telling you, you want the Lord, those things are going to happen. He's, he's not your domesticated divinity. Um, all right, so there's that. I also wanted to share, I've, I've, I've had a, a pretty busy week. I've had a uh, an aunt pass away, one of my dad's older sisters, who was super precious. 
Her name is uh, Marie, just an amazing woman. And uh, she passed away last Saturday. And then the following day, I had a cousin pass away from brain cancer who was uh, married, had married my cousin. She was cousin by marriage, but I'd only ever known her because I got married the year I was born. But um, another one, she was, she loved the Lord, strong in her faith. And, uh, and I just, you know, when you preach through funerals in the same week, you're reminded of what Isaiah 40 says. It says, all flesh is grass, like the flower of the field that fades away. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And actually, that's going to be like an end time message. Isaiah 40 is actually, like, it's like an end time passage. And, and uh, it, the Lord says, call out. And, and Isaiah responds, what shall I call out? And then the message that God gives Isaiah says, say this, all flesh is grass. And, the, and as the flower of the field, it fades away. And, you know, Jesus, part of, uh, we don't ever see, or we're not living in the fulfillment of what Jesus purchased on the cross. What I mean by that is Jesus, when he, he died on the cross, he secured all the promises of God. But there's still promises of God yet to be fulfilled. There's still scriptures yet to be fulfilled. And so we're, we're not living in the fullness. Paul says, I pray that you'd be strengthened in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be, may be able to comprehend together with all the saints what is the height, width, depth, and breadth to know the love of God that surpasses all knowledge, that surpasses your head, that you may be filled up to all the fullness. And so it's, it's that moving that from glory to glory, from faith to faith, we're, we're stepping into it, the kingdom and, and, and the glory and the knowledge of God more and more and more. But the, the second coming of Jesus is just as much a part of the gospel as the first coming because that's when everything it's the fullness. It's the good news. It's the good, that's part of the good news, right? Jesus is coming back. There's wicked kings. There's wicked uh, things going on. There's darkness that covers the earth. But Jesus is coming back to rule and reign. That's part of the good news. When Fernando Villalobos, when they experienced revival in Bolivia, they had three main messages. Jesus loves you. Jesus is alive. Jesus is coming back. And this was in the 70s. Hudson Taylor went to China reading the end times. That's what spurred him into missions because he read about the end times. He read about the second coming of Jesus. And so sometimes we, we get psyched out by the end times because we just, we don't think we can understand it. But I think you have the Holy Spirit. You have a teacher that lives inside of you. That's what the Bible says. And and so we, we don't need to shy away from it. And there's currently, you know, I was, there's nothing new under the sun. And so right now, currently, I, I believe everybody would say that we're kind of living in what feels like a different time from, from any other time in history. And there's, there's always been power grabs throughout history. You know, you had empires, you had kings, you had... And right now, I, 
if it, there's there's power grabs going on in the nations, but I think what the difference between the time that we're living in now versus you know the the empires that have come and gone is that things are happening on a, just a, a global scale. You have most even wars were localized. Even World War One, World War Two, many countries were involved, but it wasn't every single nation wasn't touched in the same way. And I believe we're coming into a time where the nations, all the nations are going to be touched in a very similar way by the, the things that are happening in the earth. And so one of that's one of the, the, the hallmarks of when you read the end time scriptures, things are happening on a global scale. All the nations, it says all the nations are going to be sifted like wheat. And, and so this from Liechtenstein to the United States, every nation is going to feel it. And so, Revelation chapter 5, it says, with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And so whenever we, we see people power grab, we have to understand this for a very short time. Because all power, all glory, all honor, all riches belong to Jesus. And when Jesus comes back and rules from Jerusalem, it says the nations of the earth are going to be coming to him and giving him their riches. They're going to be coming and pay honor and homage to him. The glory of the nations will come to him. And, and, and Psalm 2 says, listen, I've given my son the nations as his inheritance. If he asked me and and Jesus has that. So the nations are Jesus's inheritance. And so when the devil came to Jesus in the desert, he said, listen, I'm going to give you this whole kingdom right here. All the nations that they're mine, I can give them to you. And Jesus understood. There's like, no, now's not the time. I'm going to have all these things. But at first I have to pass through the cross. I have to ascend. I have to come back. These things are already his. He knows the devil is squatting on his territory. So he didn't uh, accept the temptation. So last week I, I talked about looking ahead to the reward and I talked about Moses. And if you read Hebrews 11, Moses comes after Abraham. I just flip-flopped him because that's, I got the revelation on Moses first. So now we're going to talk about Abraham. And uh, I want to read this passage out of Hebrews 11 about looking ahead to the reward. And Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, verses 8 through 10 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. All right, stop right there. How many of y'all... God's ever asked you, he's asked you to do something. You didn't know where he was, where you were going. Raise your hand. <laughs> All right. That's a hallmark of following God. You're not going to know. He's just going to say, so he didn't tell Abraham. He's like the whole thing all in the beginning when he left earth, modern day Iraq. He said, leave the land of your fathers and, and go to this place. And then he went to, he went kind of up in the Iran area. And 
along the way, as he got into what would be modern day Israel, he said, this is the land. But he had, he had some steps of obedience before God ever gave him the promise. And so the first step is always in obeying the Lord is to do what he's already told you to do, to do that one thing. And it says that he did not know where he was going. So I want to encourage you. Um, you don't have, God hasn't given you steps A through Z. You're in good company. And, uh, you know, I've had, I've had friends who were talking about how good they are at making plans. And, you know, they even had a friend that was living with his girlfriend and he was kind of, he had been living with her for four or five years. He was kind of dissing on her. He's like, man, she doesn't even have a plan. Like, I, she just kind of lives by the seat of her pants. I got like three plans for my future. And I said, well, speaking about your future, he's like, what's your plans for after you die? And he was like, they didn't have a plan. And he actually came to the Lord a few months later. And uh, God just had him set up because the next day a guy gave him a, a Bible. And then he left for, to go to, out of town the next week to California. He went back home. And he went to a church with his friend. And some, a lady is sitting in front of him in the church, turned around, gave him a prophetic word. And so like God was just like hitting him from all angles. Verse 9, by faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So Abraham actually lived in his promised land as an alien, stranger, and a foreigner. That just struck me as like, that's, that's kind of wild. God's, he's, he's standing in Israel. He's like, listen, this is yours, but not yet. <laughs> Who did that remind you of Jesus in the desert, right? God's like, father's like, this is yours, but not yet. I just wait on my time. The same is true. Like we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. Like Jesus is going to put us in places of authority to rule and reign with him. He's going to be like, hey, Brian, you're in charge of Peconi County. I mean, I don't know what it's going to look like, you know what I'm saying? But he's going to put us in charge of things. Blake, I want you to be, you're going to gather up worshipers in, around the temple in Jerusalem, okay? But we're going to have authority. We're going to be ruling and reigning. He's going to put us in positions of leadership. And, uh, and so we're living in this, our, our inheritance as strangers right now. So in Acts chapter 7, it says, are these things true? The high priest asked. And this is a, Stephen is preaching. He's, and Stephen says this, brothers and fathers. He replied, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran, which is modern day Turkey. And said to him, leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him moved to this land in which you are now living. He didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. 
So the, this is part of the reason that I'm talking about looking ahead to the reward is its motivation is part of our motivation for obedience. Hey, there's a reward. Like this is, and it gives you confidence. So if you're under any kind of duress or persecution, what gives you confidence is this is mine one day. You know, I might say you're thrown in prison for your faith or something like that. You can have confidence. It's like, I'm not going to be in here forever. Not only am I going to be with Jesus, but I'm actually going to get the land back. I'm going to be with him ruling and reigning over the nations, trying to love people into the kingdom while I'm at it. And so Abraham, he had to live in this, his inheritance as a stranger. And we now live in our promised inheritance as strangers. So why do you think in, Ma- in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, verse five, it said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. What do you think that means? We're going to inherit the earth. Like we're actually going to get the earth. <laughs> it's not like, that's cool. That's really nice, fluffy, fluffy language, Jesus. He actually meant it. We're going to get the earth. And so Abraham, he was literally living in the promised land and he was looking for the city that has foundations. So what was Abraham living in as he's picking up, selling down, picking up? He was living in a tent. (laughs) And he was looking for the city that has foundations. He wasn't looking for a tent. He was looking for the permanent city. Whose architect and builder is God. It's not made with human hands. So what he was looking for was the new Jerusalem. And in Revelations chapter 21, it describes it. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. From God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. These words will surely come to pass. The new Jerusalem comes out of heaven. God dwells with man. He will be our God and and we will be his people. So, Abraham dwelled in tents in the promised land, indicating that this particular earth, the one without Jesus ruling from Jerusalem, was not his home. He he dwelled with Abraham and Isaac as co-heirs. They said they were co-heirs with Abraham, just as our brothers and sisters in Christ are co-heirs with us. Our sons and our daughters in Christ are co-heirs with us. So it said from one man, verses 12 through 16, in fact, one as good as dead. 
came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as, as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have an opportunity to return. That they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So it says, let us not return to the land which we were born. So why were you born again? You're born again and you your citizenship changed. You're not, this isn't your homeland. You're not born from above. You're born from heaven. You've been born again. And so in Colossians 3, it says, if you've been raised with Christ, meaning if you've been born again, you've been born from a from above, born from heaven, seek the things that are above. That's where your home is, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on your homeland. Set your mind on the values of your homeland. Set your mind on the power of your homeland. Not on earthly things. For you have died. The Travis that was connected, tied to this world has died. This world that has death and sin that entangles it. I've been disconnected from that world. Now, do I still sin? Yes, it's because what's happening, we're, we're moving into the fullness until that day. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is Colossians chapter 3. When Christ, who is your life, appears, listen to this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So it's talking about, not this isn't just a renewing your mind verse. It's talking about it, which it is. But it's saying, look to your homeland. Look for that day. And there is, and so what has happened is like you had in the 70s with the Jesus people movement, a lot of the people that got saved out of that got obsessed with the end times. And they thought Jesus was coming back any day. They were, people were predicting dates. They were predicting, hey, 1984, August 11th. You know, I'm just throwing a random date out there. Jesus is coming back. So people would sell everything, forget everything, quit their jobs, and then like Jesus wouldn't come back. Even though the scripture says nobody knows the day or the time, even Jesus. And so what happened was, is there was this, as, as usually what happens this heavy shift away from the end times went to, no, the kingdom's now. We don't need to worry about any of that. The kingdom's now. Just worry about like right now, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, which is both of these things are true. Like when we pray for people and they get healed or we prophesy or the power of God hits them and they encounter God, they're tasting the kingdom because I just had this thought this morning. of like, everybody's going to be best friends with Jesus in heaven, like the way that you long to know him, it's available. Like everybody's going to get to experience that, this unhindered intimacy, because during worship, I saw Jesus getting baptized in the Jordan River, and I saw him like come out, and he had his, 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 the water coming off of his head, and he looked at me, and it's like I was in the crowd watching him be baptized, and he just smiled at me, 
And I was like, Jesus, you've got the best smile. And I just was like, man, I want to wrap my arms around you. I want to hug you. Like I want, you know, that just the longing of like, I'm with Jesus. You know, when you see somebody that you admire, you just want to hang around them and be with them all the time, right? You're like, man, I just want to, you know, glean anything I can off of that person. Well, with Jesus, we're going to have that for all of eternity. Like we're going to have that kind of access. And because he's God, he can do it for everybody. But everybody's going to have access to his heart and be unrestrained, unveiled. And it's, it's the inheritance that we have. And so right now we taste that when we worship God and we get a taste and you see him smile for a glimpse. And you're like, oh, I want that. I want that. It makes you long for your home and know that this is not your home. This is not your home. That we've been born from above. We've been born again. We're aliens and we're strangers. And it's totally okay because we're bringing the message of the kingdom and we're trying to bring sons and daughters back to the father's house. But that is what awaits us. That's why we, it's not, you're not bailing out on life to look forward to Jesus coming back. Some people think that. It's like, man, if I still get to it, I might just live it in the future. Oh, Jesus, rescue me. That's not what we're talking about at all. Because you're going to walk in power and authority right now. Let's do them both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Let's do them both. Let's long for Jesus to come back. Let's long for the fullness. But right now, no, Jesus heals people just like he did. Did he heal everybody in Israel? No, the people that came in contact with him were healed. And so everybody that we get to touch gets to, gets to experience the kingdom of God. And so it goes on to say we desire a better place, a heavenly one. It's perfectly good and right to desire a better place. We're not victims. We're not victims of the culture. We're not victims, period. Jesus has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need. So we're not victims. And we're not wishing our life away, waiting for Jesus to rescue us in the sense of, oh, we're powerless. No, we've been given power. We've been given authority. Just as Jesus walked on the earth, he's called us to walk in the same way because we have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us. The same Holy Spirit that descended upon Jesus in the River Jordan lives inside of you. The same one. And so, Hebrews 11 verse 39 says that all these it's talking about all the people listed in the, the hall of faith chapter 11 and it says this about them and it goes through David, Samson Barak, Jephthah I, did, I read Jephthah's story it was far from perfect all these people had humongous flaws it's, it's kind of crazy the way God remembers history one of the things that that God loves is faith he loves faith he has no illusions about us being uh, perfect. But faith and courage are, are very valuable in the sight of God. But he, this, 
this verse, Hebrews 11, verse 39 says, all these people, they were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Even Abraham saw the Messiah. Even Moses saw the Messiah. Now the apostles, they saw, they saw Jesus in the flesh, but it's still not the fulfillment of all the promises. Because when Jesus comes back, that's when it will be finished. And when Jesus said it's finished from the cross, what he meant was it's secured, it's done. Nothing else has to be done. All the promises are going to be yes and amen and me. But when Jesus comes back, all of the promises will actually be fulfilled. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18 says, Don't become partners. Do not be unequally yoked with those who do not believe. What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of God, as God said. I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me. Again, it's using that language of when the new Jerusalem comes down. I will be a father to you. You will be sons and daughters to me. Unhindered intimacy. So I have a couple of questions I want you to answer. This is not rhetorical. How do we come out from their midst, like the scripture says? Come out from the world and be separate. How do we walk that out practically? What does that look like? So this is y'all's turn to answer. Seeing people with the eyes of love. Seeing people with eyes of love. So literally coming out to get away with the Lord, spend time with the Lord. What did Jesus do when he was with the crowd after he ministered? Come on, go. Run away. Nobody follow me. I'm going to the mountain to pray, you know. So he came out, he literally came out from the midst and was separate. So yeah, spending spending time in the presence of the Father. What else? Being filled with the Holy Spirit and being aware of his presence in all situations. What did Jesus tell Peter when he's when Peter forbid him to be crucified? He's like, get behind me, Satan. He's like, you don't know what spirit you're of, you know. And so be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because people, you can be filled with other spirits. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we just, I mean, spent three weeks teaching on and about deliverance and from unclean spirits, from demons. What else? Our speech. So, not complaining, encouraging others. No. Just lots of other ways. Just, the world speaks differently. God calls us to speak. 
Yeah. There's a scripture in uh, Philippians, it's either Philippians or Colossians, I'd have to look it up, but it basically says you, when you don't complain or, or whine, you display, <laughs> you set yourself apart as unto the Lord, is my paraphrase of it. Um, but yeah, it says that exact thing. It's like it's by simply not complaining and, and, and whining and being thankful, you can set yourself apart. What else? Right. Yeah. So speaking the truth, living from the truth, not from our feelings or what somebody might think is the truth. You know, you, the phrase your truth is thrown around. That's not really true. There's only one truth. If my truth was to, to murder you, then that would violate your truth, right? So how do we know who's right? And whenever our feelings, our feelings can also betray us. So if we live by our feelings, you're going to be like this, up and down, tossed by every wind and wave of doctrine, right? You're going to be like a ship tossed on the sea. God's called us to be rocks. When the waves crash against us, the waves break on us. We don't break on the waves. And so speaking the truth, living from the truth, definitely. Culture. Different culture. I feel like there's things in American culture that don't align with the culture that God has called us to. And I think people know not to to look pleasing to man, trying to align themselves with that culture instead of trusting what God trusts in that culture. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, I told you, so. So listen, I mean, it's even things as simple as this. When you're playing basketball in PE, and if you score on a guy, don't flex on him. Don't show him up. <laughs> like, just simple ways of like being, you know, showing respect to somebody. Um, little things like that that set you apart because you know, everybody, most of the world's, want, you know, you're gonna. Puff your peacock feathers out and let everybody know how good you are. And the only the only opinion that matters is the Lord. And he, know, he knows everything, anyways. But what else? Choose to live by faith in all things. Choose to live by faith in all things. Practicing the fruits of the spirit. Practicing the fruits of the spirit. Yeah, those are. I mean, the bottom line is God asks us to do the impossible. He asks us to do things that we can't do. He says, tell them this, cleanse lepers, heal the sick, raise the dead, love your enemies. Read the Sermon on the Mount and saw like flesh killers. The second question I want to ask you is, what does it mean to be unequally yoked with unbelievers? What does that mean? So a yoke of oxen in that day was for two oxen. So you put it up, they were bound together by a wooden yoke that had two places for two heads of oxen. So what would happen if one oxen turned? That other ox has to go with it, right? So practically speaking, what is kind of using that imagery, what does it mean to be unequally yoked with, with unbelievers? Their influence is greater than God's influence on their life. Yeah. 
Their influence is greater than God's influence on your life. What else? How else would you describe it? What's what we just talked about? Being in the world, coming out of the world. And if you're, if you're giving to somebody who's in the world, you're, you're coming out of the world. And I mean, it's, you're going to be pulled out of it. Right. Yeah, so there is a, there is a tractor beam the world's trying to get, get you on, right? Suck you into their, their, their stream. And if you are yoked to them, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be easier for them to pull you. And I've, I've told my kids before, it's like, listen, there's going to come a point in your life when doing the right thing is going to leave you all alone. Okay? Like, you may not be, but at some point, whether it's like you're with two other people or one other person and you have to make a choice, at some point you just, you're going to be alone in that moment having to choose the Lord. And that's where you, you know, the pool that there is, <laughs> if, you're, if you're traveling with somebody that can be there. But the, the, the good thing is, is that you can, you can love people even when you disagree with them or don't have to travel with them by serving them. You know, it's like if, any, if, if a person is in need, no matter who they are, it's like we want to, we want to serve them, help them, provide, give them, if they need bread, water, food, clothing, whatever, give them what they need, even if we don't agree with them. God's all, Jesus has definitely, has always called us to do that. That's part of loving your enemies, so to speak. What, any, anybody else, what does it mean to be unequally yoked with unbelievers? Janice? Yeah. When I came to the Lord, I had friends that I'm still friends with today that were doing drugs and wearing all this sexual, sexually immoral things. And I was in some of that. I didn't do the drug thing, but I knew when I gave my life to Jesus, I, <laughs> I remember I told, I told the Lord, I was like, Lord, I, I need like a whole new set of friends. Because <laughs> I did. I mean, I didn't have anybody in my life that loved the Lord. And so I started going back to church Good place to find people that love Jesus and met Jessica soon after and other friends, Mike Ricks who's a minister in the area and just the Lord started just bringing people into my life and I would still go to see those guys. I even went, they even had uh, a jam band party one because they were all musicians and I um, took Jessica with me and I was at a point where I was Strong enough in my walk with the Lord, like I can go over there, see them, and not participate in anything that they're doing, but try to use it as an opportunity because they're going to ask me, "Why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you smoking? Why aren't you doing this?" And I can tell them why. Except Je- Jessica almost ate a brownie from the pan of brownies, and I went, "Don't touch that!" So don't put that near my shoes right here. And I was like, "Don't eat it. <laughs> put it down slowly." And so, but um. Even in that, the Lord never asked me to do that a whole lot. It was on mostly like one-to-one stuff because they're partying. They're under the effects of alcohol and drugs. It's just not like the greatest time. But I had one friend, we all went to lunch one time, and this was shortly after giving my life to the Lord, and one of my friends like, Crap, tell everybody what happened to you this summer. I told everybody about Jesus. I was like, Jesus, I, was, I said, man, I said, I, I've got freedom and peace. I told him about him sitting, you know, 
it got uncomfortable because like Jesus totally set me free from pornography and masturbation. And they're like, but why? Why is it uncomfortable? It's not uncomfortable if you're not living in it, right? <laughs> it's uncomfortable because you're like, okay. And you just said those words out loud, but that's how, that's kind of how I, I've always been. But I was like, man, he set me free. I've been asking for these things. But it takes total surrender to Jesus. You can't like paint on this service. And anyways, I preached to him. I didn't know I was supposed to be a preacher at that time. So, but that's, I, I say, I, I want to talk about being separate and living from above because we're looking ahead to the reward. And we have, we just have a very short time on this earth to, to, to give our lives to the Lord, to follow him in obedience. And part of what can motivate you is just like, I don't even have to see things. We will see. God, he does things. He, he, we see promises fulfilled in our lives right now. But he, but the, the foundation being like, I know that there, all the fullness, all the promises, there's coming a day when I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk in the fullness. And I just want to stay faithful. I want to stay faithful to the Lord. And I want to keep walking that path. I, look, I fix my eyes and I set my mind on things above, not things that are below. Because I've been raised with, with Christ. This is not my home. My homeland's up there. You know, it's coming to earth. So we live from that place. But let's, let's stand. I want to pray for us. And I want to worship one more song.